We are I. Probably. We had so much fun. I'm like, we need to do this again. Yeah, and in one way, shape, or form, like we've recorded probably what eight or ten different things over the course of time, from yeah. video to audio, yeah. Facebook, Instagram, the whole yeah. bit. Yeah, it was so fun. I'm like, we need to do more of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because now that I have a little bit more confidence with, um, you know, how because now I've seen a lot of people, mm-hmm. and I've had a lot of personal experiences with protocols yeah and there's been a lot of you know different challenges thrown at me with people's health regimes right so now i'm able to um have a bigger larger span and spectrum as to what is true and what is not true and what is biased and what you know different opinions will say versus facts versus what you know analytically i have seen and tested and observed so it's been mind-boggling to to be able to to have that experience yeah and it's always like that's I guess kind of like the uh, like the life experience side of life and especially when you're portraying knowledge onto other people right where it's like you kind of lived it now you've seen all these different sides you know to the the conversation the equations you know like especially when it comes to I think like health and wellness and fitness where Things were so siloed at the beginning. It's like, we're only really talking at this point in time, what, about 50 years ago, like fitness and health became like mainstream because of bodybuilding. And it just followed that same track for so long Mm -hmm. until really when you get into like exercise science and the evolution of sports medicine, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's the only thing that really took fitness away from bodybuilding was sports. Mm -hmm. Not that bodybuilding isn't a sport, but it's just, it's like... It was throwing your running shoes and go for a run if you want to burn some fat and, you know, go lift some weights in a tank top and eat chicken and rice if you want to gain some muscle. Mm-hmm. And like now look at what the industry is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that there's so much confusion out there as to like what works and what doesn't work. And I think that consistency is key. Mm-hmm. And I think anything will work as long as, you know, it's something that your body would respond well to. Um, certain body types and certain, uh, you know, people's lifestyles, they don't match the, uh, level of athleticism that they're trying to achieve. Mm. You know, I would never want to recommend someone just go run a marathon without training or, um, (laughs) I do shit like that all the time. I love it. Yeah. But you've, you've adapted yourself, right? So Mm. it's like a lot of people, they, they set unrealistic, uh, goals. I have, you know, patients that come in that are like, okay, I want to get my hormones balanced and I just had a baby. So now I need to get fit for summer and I need to lose 60 pounds in three months. I'm like, that's not realistic. Your body just went through shock, pushing out a baby. And then now there's all the deficiencies that took place and your adrenals are taxed. And so your body's not going to perform the way you want it to. And so your goals need to be more realistic. And I think there needs to be a lot of love in the process because it's just like when you have a child where the child is learning how to walk and crawl or someone has had an injury, like a brain injury, and now they're relearning something. Mm 
So those different pathways in your brain are no different than when somebody has gained a bunch of weight and now they want to lose a bunch of weight. You have to be very nurturing to your body. And a lot of people, they, sh they body shame. And a lot of people, they have a very negative relationship with the mirror when they're going through their transitions, men and women. And I even see it in the younger generations now with body dysmorphia, and it's becoming a very major problem. And I think what people need to realize is it's not about, you know, how you look, which, you know, but it's also how you feel. Because if you start to feel better, naturally you will start to look healthier. And it's, it's I think there's a very interesting spectrum as to what looks good versus what is healthy. And as I went from being a ballerina to a marathon runner to a bodybuilder, and I had all these crazy different diets in between, it was really interesting to see how... Um, how like what I thought was healthy based on the outside, having like, you know, a ch chiseled six pack, which I attained or having, you know, under 10% body fat as a woman, I used to think that was healthy. And then I learned very quickly how unhealthy that was and what that did to my cognitive ability. And I think I'm a bright girl. You know, I can, I can do a lot. I run multiple businesses. I'm a wife. Um, but I was literally... <laughs> I have a funny story. I was literally so deprived before going on stage. I was about five days out from going on stage and I had to run out and do an errand and, um, for, for bikini level bodybuilding. And I had to run out and do an errand and it was like way past my bedtime. Um, my bedtime was like seven o'clock cause you're up at four to do fasted cardio and all sorts of stuff and meal prepping and etc. And I'm sitting at a stop sign waiting for it to go green. <laughs> we've all kind of been there in situations like that before but it's it's hilarious when you look back on it and you're just in that kind of days anything like there's there's no test for things like that that if you got pulled over by the cops it's like i'm tired yeah you know what i mean and it's just like you if you have like the same cognitive impairment is somebody who's been like drinking or yeah. anything along those lines but it's like you just it's but we can laugh it off which is the funny and the irony and the hypocrisy of life, how like yeah. some things are socially acceptable and some things aren't. Like you wouldn't sit here and <laughs> condone drinking and driving, but everybody's being so tired where they're like, shit, like what happened in the last like minute? Did I like fall asleep driving down the highway or like waiting at a stop sign to turn green? Like all we, everybody has a story like that. Yeah, I know. And, and everybody, you know, I think needs to be more open about it. And I think you need to learn to like laugh at yourself because life is not about just getting to a destination. I hate to break it to you. We're all going to die, mm -hmm. but it's about enjoying the roller coaster. And I think people almost feel like because bad things have happened to them, they did something wrong. They did life wrong, but they don't realize that like, you're going to go and have these blissful euphoric moments. But you're also going to get knocked down a few times and maybe multiple times and that's just in this, that's the season that you're in because you're going through growing pains. It's called growing pains for a reason. It's painful and it's about character development and it's about experiencing all aspects of life. And you can't have, you know, that full, um, energetic experience at your peak, you know, absorbing it all in without having at least felt the rock bottom. But people are coached that way these days too, or um, you know, like I even think like as you're talking about that, that all those stupid fucking live, laugh, love signs and like, it's all that stuff where it negates the actual real component of reality. Like 
you know, if you turn the clock back like a hundred years and you just talk to somebody like, like, what do you think are like three things that tangibly could happen in your year? Massive infection, you know, like lack of food, like starvation is almost guaranteed at some point in time in your, in your year, a hundred years ago and like absolute uncertainty, mm-hmm. but nobody like that was just life. And that is still life now. It's just, we put these like real superficial problems in this, in this category that taps into those resources with inside of us that no life is shitty and has the ability to be able to be shitty. But then we just paint over and gloss over these things and being like, well, no, life doesn't have to be if you just always have a positive outlook on life. It's like, yeah, you shouldn't walk around being a negative piece of shit, but you can't also negate, you can't paint positivity on everything because life is just life. Like we are going to go through those things. And like I said, like, how do you appreciate the downside of life if you're being told it should never be like that? Mm-hmm. And I think it's really dangerous when people look um, on social media because they're only looking at the blissful moments and all the moments that people want to share, right? But they forget that when you're actually with those people, making sure that you're surrounding yourself with people that are grounded, that are okay to be vulnerable, that are okay to like laugh at their challenges, but they're overcoming it. And I think that's so beautiful when you overcome it and you're going through it. But I think a lot of people walk around with a mask and a lot of people walk around with the fact that like, they're almost ashamed that maybe they're, you know, um, their health is declining or maybe they had, you know, a situation with a neighbor or with their child or with their dog or with their partner or their business or et cetera with themselves. And it's like, it's okay to not be okay all the time and to not be dialed up all the time. But I also think you just don't want to stay at that low frequency where now you think that you're this victim and then the world owes you because that's also not a good frequency to be at. So just like learning how to be raw and real, but also persevere through it is, is a key, a key role that you need to have when it comes to just getting through every single step of every single day. Cause there are a lot, like you said, there are a lot of unknowns, but isn't that the whole point of life? And isn't that the exciting part? Well, and that's why like for me, like I constantly and routinely and always will get myself in situations that force you to be able to flex muscles like that and adapt to it, which gets into the whole PEI story, right? Yeah. And Yeah, tell me like, more about that. Like, I'm so excited to hear about that. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I actually haven't talked about it with anybody where it's being recorded. I've digressed and analyzed myself on this podcast, but I've got in multiple conversations with it with people that I know and I love and respect who, who understand that side of life because the one thing that I know for me it's hard to be able to have a conversation about things like what I'm gonna get into you with with people who just don't really get the actual purpose behind it because it's so absurd to them that they would never fathom doing it but then never fathom understanding the value of all this so like on every 10 every decade besides being 10 unless it's something by default happened but at 20 is the when I got into bodybuilding, stepping on stage, sports modeling, that whole bit, because I was always nervous and shy about my body. Um, and I just moved up to BC. I was in flight school learning how to fly helicopters. I was going to Trinity Western, 
um, in their Kim program to be able to get all my fitness related certifications and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm like, like, what's this big thing that I can do to help gain this confidence in myself being this like 19 year old kid. So that was 2030 was running the West Coast Trail. West Coast Trail is like one of the top five hardest trails um, in North America. And, you know, like most people take three to five days to do it. Some by way of just because it's beautiful and some because it's just like the physical taxation. It's like a 85 kilometer obstacle course with like thousands of feet of ladder. You know, there's cable cars, there's sand, there's boulders, there's creeks, there's rivers, there's a ferry. There's just, there's everything you could think of on this thing. Um, and so I remember when I started to do that and researching behind it, then I reached out to the ultra community. I'm like, if you were going to run, you know, say like 100K, how long would you train for it? And all these, you know, things came back and it's like, oh, a, a year, you know, 18 months, blah, 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 and all this. I'm like, well, I'm doing it in 30 days. And then the whole, you know, you should never do this. You're, this is, you're going to fail, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, like you're going to wreck your body. You're going to ruin yourself. And I'm like, okay, well, that's you. Like, that's, that's not me. You know, like I've played sports my entire life. I've beat my body down. My body knows how to be able to persevere through that shit. I'm more just asking is a general question being like, huh, the average person would do this. This is where I'm at. So I'm like, fuck you guys. I won't even run one mile and I will go do this. So I didn't even run one mile, 16 hours and 48 minutes. It took to be able to do that. You know, pat on the back, take the what I learned from there, go into 40. So then, you know, about 39, I'm like, what can I do for 40? Because I always want to do these life lesson experiences you know, on the decades. So I'm like, what's on the East Coast? Because I wanted to do the or the uh, Pacific Crest Trail, but having small kids and taking three to four months away in the backcountry to go from Tijuana to Manning Park is just not reasonable when my youngest is six. So I'm like, what's on the East Coast that I can do? Because on 30, I did something on the West Coast. So I started looking at there's like this East Coast Trail they made to be able to mimic the West Coast Trail. It's just some shit trail. And I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. So like, what's a historical because I love the history beside it because that's what the West Coast Trail is is when all the ships would crash um, into the rocks on the west side of the island they would take this route down to Port Renfrew so it's like this old shipwreck route so it's super cool lots of rich history right so then I'm like oh I'll do this confederation trail because it's the old railway line that used to go to all these towns in PEI so I'm like okay cool same thing fuck it not going to train for it or not going to run, not going to do an abundance of running. I'll just, you know, maybe do like five miles a day or something. So it's 273 kilometers long. So it's like three times the distance. And I'm like, okay, well, just treat it like a pilgrimage. I know I'm going to walk some. I know I'm going to run some. This is fine. Like, I'm not trying to break a record. That would do this. Like, I never sit with an intent. I want to be the fastest person who's done this. Like, I don't care about that stuff. I more want to do it to be able to learn something about myself. So you speed this all up and you get to the trip and this is where like the madness of this whole experience comes in. So I just finished traveling for four days from Friday to Monday. I get back um, into town, into Vancouver on Monday afternoon and then I work until 10 o'clock at night. And then I get up at three o'clock in the morning um, on Tuesday and I have one meeting. Then we have to go to the airport flight boards at 745. I'm like, even if I don't get a whole lot of sleep, even if I've been doing all this traveling, when I get there, if I can take a little nap on the plane, fine. If not, I'm going to rest that day, sleep that night, wake up the next day and do this. 
So we get on the plane and we taxi out to the runway. And we get to the runway and then the captain comes on and he's like, you know what folks, sorry, we gotta go back to the gate. Our altimeter doesn't work in the airplane. We have to shut the airplane down and we have to fully reset the system. We should be in the air in the next 20 or 30 minutes. I'm like, well, this is interesting. You know, I fly 40 times a year. I'm like, I've never come across this shit. So I'm like, okay, fair enough. We taxi back to the gate. They shut the airplane down, like completely off, turn and then reset the system, turn it back on. Good news, folks, you know, we're good to go. Go back out to the, um, to the runway, get to the runway. Sorry, altimeter's not working again. We gotta go back. We're gonna try it one more time. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, so even if it does, this shit's now failed twice, but we're just gonna hop up in the air. Like, what if it, what if the altimeter, like, you know, goes for shit in the air? You're not just gonna turn the airplane off to be able to reset this thing. And it only really matters if you're flying into like mountainous airports or, you know, um, if it's non-VFR, so VFR is like visual flight rules and IFR is instrument flight rules. So I'm like, if it's foggy and you can't see, you really need the altimeter to be like, this is where the ground is because I can't see it. Right. So I'm like, and we're flying into Halifax, so fog could be like, you know, very present, right? Mm -hmm. So we go back to the gate, shut the airplane off, turn it back on. We're in the airplane now for two hours. And... The cabinet's like, well, you know, it turns out this isn't going to work. We've called ahead and we've ordered the part. They're bringing the part right now. Stay on the plane. We're going to do a computer swap of the altimeter while you guys are on the plane. And I'm like, is that real? Like, are you like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, like, is that actually real? Or you just are like, oh, we just called Lord Co. And we ordered a new altimeter computer. And don't worry, the mechanics are on the way. They're going to fix this. You're like... You don't even sit in your fucking car when they're doing maintenance on your car. And I'm like, now we're all on this airplane. And it's a big airplane. One where there's like nine seats across. Like, it's not one of the small ones. It's like a bigger airplane, right? So I'm like, fair enough. Like, how long though? You know, if it takes 30 minutes to reset this shit, presumably, even after you install it, it's going to take that same probably 30 minutes to fire and reboot everything back up the same way it just did when we were doing it right now. So ironically, then he comes back on. He's like, it should take about two hours. So it's like, we've already been on this fucking airplane for like two hours. Now you're going to tell us you want to sit on here for another two hours while you do this computer swap? And all I'm thinking in my mind is, is I'm like, this is the beginning of the wheels coming off the bus. So I'm like, okay. So two hours goes by, captain comes back on, there's maintenance crew coming in and out. Like, I don't know, like they're in the back where like the food's kept and they're back there, they're up there. There's like three or four guys walking up and down the aisles doing shit. Captain comes back on, turns out it's going to be another two or three hours. It's like, no shit. We probably all knew that from the beginning. So you guys need to get off the plane and we'll call you to board back, just kind of stay, you know, just know it's going to be a couple hours, stay kind of centralized, you know, to this gate. So you're going to be boarding back on this gate. And it's like, okay. So we get off and we're waiting, like I was saying, now it's like one o'clock in the afternoon. Like, and we boarded at 7.45 in the morning. So everybody's kind of sitting there and they give everybody like $10 food vouchers and stuff. And it's like, anybody who's gone to the airport knows like a, like a Starbucks coffee is like $9 at the airport. Yeah. So it's like, what is a $10 food voucher going to do for you now that you need to buy lunch? So we go and we look at this lunch place and like just a six ounce steak is like $48. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, and I'm just like, so what's this $10 food voucher going to be do for me, somebody who's on a carnivore diet and I can't now just go get a bag of chips to like fill me up, Eric Rolls, you know, like what most people might be doing. Yeah. So like now I'm grumpy as fuck because, yeah. you know, like I need to eat. So I start eating the food that I brought to eat while I was running on the trail. And just like beef jerky, pepperonis, shit like this. Something that I know is like hand snacks you can eat while you're running and stuff that my body is used to digesting, although it's like shitty quality of what I'm used to eating. But it's like, it's the nutrients along those lines of like what my body can easily digest and process, right? So I'm like, I need to eat this because I'm like now going to be like a half day behind where I am. And this is like not a lot of calories. So... We're sitting there and it's like, what is it? Three o'clock in the afternoon, 3.30 in the afternoon now. And they call everybody back over to the gate and they make an announcement saying the flight's canceled because the crew's timed out. So even if they do get this fixed, their crew, because they've timed out, can't actually fly you all the way to Halifax because now they're over their flight hours. And I'm like, these fucking people haven't flown anywhere. But it's waking hours. They're only that'd be like awake or like, you know, working for so many hours, whether they're flying or not, like none of these people fall. So now it's like, go get your bags, go back through security because you all have been rebooked on other flights. And it's like, well, if you booked like 600 fucking people on new flights already, when did you know about this shit? So then I said to Alyssa, I'm like, I'm like, I'm going home. I'm like, I'm going to cancel the trip. I'm like, I can't do this. I'm like, now... I'm like three quarters of a day behind because we haven't even left Vancouver yet. And we still have to wait till 10.30 tonight, another seven hours from now to even be able to get on this plane, even if we get on it. So I'm like, if I cancel this whole thing now, then, you know, like I can rebook it for like September or something, you know, get the wheels back on the bus with all this stuff, right? So we kind of go back and forth about what we should do and what we shouldn't do. My sister, my brother-in-law, and my nephews were already there meeting us there because they were coming because this is like my big 40th birthday thing and they wanted to be a part of it. So I'm like, fuck, even though I knew I shouldn't go, then you get into like that not listening to your gut and looking at like the social pressure side of this and like the family pressure where it's like they've now spent thousands of dollars like, you know, going on this family vacation that, yeah, they may have went there, but they could have gone like anywhere else. They regularly go to Hawaii for a family vacation every year. And it's like, they probably would have gone there instead. And it probably would have been cheaper, to be honest. So we're like, go back, go down to the carousel. Well, now they can't find anybody's bags. I'm like, the plane never even went anywhere. Like, they, it literally, the, the, it went to the runway and back twice. Where the fuck are the bags? Oh my gosh. Like, what did you do with them? Like even the run from where the plane was parked to where the bags come out was the shortest distance at Seagate in Vancouver. And anybody's flown in Vancouver knows that it's like Seagate is like directly out from like the carousel. Like it, it's got to be like a straight line of conveyor belts to be able to get there. Like the, the, and we're at the very first gate at, in Seagate. So I'm like, you, you can't get any closer to where we are. Like how are these bags on? So like an hour later, the bags come out. Then you got to go back up and it's not just going through security because you're on a new flight. You have to check those bags in through Air Canada, through the bag check-in process again. So now you have all like, you know, 500 some people checking in bags on top of the normal traffic now that's now like right in like kind of peak travel time. 
So you can imagine what the lineup was like. So it's like another hour and something checking in the bays, going back through security and get back into the airport. And like, now you're just irritated. I've had like, you know, coming off four days of traveling, getting like four hours of sleep the night before, multiple cancellations. You've been sitting on this airplane and I know in my mind, I'm like, I can't just sit in this airport. I can't keep sitting. I just sat in a plane for like a quarter of a day. And now we're in these lines and I'm like, now I'm like, my lower back's going to get tight. Like my muscles, like I just, I know all of that. Plus now having to sit for like another five or six hours before we even get on the plane. It's a five hour flight. And then I have a four hour car right after that. I'm like, I can see how my body is going to feel. And like this is already big enough. I don't need to go through all of this too on top of that. But I'm like, I'm like, whatever. I'm like, obviously I'm being tested for some reason. This is all a part of the test of this process. Talking to a couple of people that I love and respect that do extreme things like this. And they're just like, just take it for what it is. Like, it's all a part of like, this is what you got to do. This is the beginning part of the journey and the pilgrimage and just learn to love it. So I'm like, okay, fine. That's where the mindset is. But I'm like, what am I gonna eat? I'm like, I'm not gonna keep spending $48 on six ounce steaks, but there's nothing else in the airport to eat. I'm not gonna eat a shitty hamburger patty from Carl's Jr. You know, like there's just, there's nothing. So I'm like, I won't eat. I'd rather not eat at this point and eat something when I get there than keep eating this shitty food or food that's just like, you're gonna spend three or $400 on shitty steaks. So 10.30 rolls around, I'm like grumpy as fuck. And everybody is. Like everybody on this entire plane now is just full of these grumpy fucking individuals that have been in the airport all day long and understandably so. So we get on the plane and we're flying. I'm trying to sleep. I can't sleep on airplanes very well. It's just, you know, if you were in like business class with a bed, one thing, flying economy, you're not sleeping. And then around like one o'clock in the morning, our time, so whatever that would be based on where we were flying, this old man, he starts making like a commotion. He's probably in his 80s. And it's not really audible enough to understand like what he's saying. And you, you can tell he's talking in a different language. And it's not loud enough that he's being unruly, but the situation is tense. And everybody can start to feel this shit. So I'm like, whatever. I'm like, I'm going to go to the bathroom stretch the legs, go to the bathroom. As I'm standing there, I hear in the, the stall next to me this noise. I couldn't quite make it out because it wasn't audible, but again, I could tell it was like in a different language. And I'm like, fuck, this is like that old man. So I get out and I go to the stewardess. I'm like, there's two of them standing there. And I'm like, I think that there's somebody who might need help in there. And they're like, yeah, we can kind of hear something, but... It wasn't, we couldn't really, whether it was like somebody talking to themselves or listening to music or something. And I'm like, well, I think that the person might need help. When you're in the bathroom right beside them, like you can hear it way better than what you can hear it out here. So they're like, okay, so I'm like, me being a man, I'm like, if you guys want to crack the door just a little bit, I'll look the other way, but I'll just ask if this person needs help. So they're like, okay, because they're like, we don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, this seems like, probably the only solution we have here. So they crack the door a little bit. And I'm like, excuse me, do you need, and as I'm about to say help, this guy slams the door closed. So I'm like, okay, obviously you don't need help. So I'm like, this is on you guys. 
I'm going back to sit down. So like an hour or so goes by and there's this growing level of tension over the whole airplane. There's not really anything happening, but you can tell there's just this growing level of tension. So all of a sudden the captain comes on and he's like, we have to turn the plane around. No. And I was like, <laughs> are you gotta be fucking kidding me? And there's like, we need to do an emergency landing in Toronto. And I was like, why don't you keep fucking going straight then? If we're already past Toronto, Halifax is right there. And they're just like, but there's that threshold. It's like the closest airport. So even if you're like a couple minutes on the closer side, like they're legally obligated to go to the closest like major airport and land. So I'm like, what about like New Brunswick or something? Like, like there's got to be an airport that's more in the direction we're going than this. So he comes in, he's like, you know, we're about half an hour out, which in my mind, I'm like, then we have to be like half an hour to Halifax. So I'm like, we're half an hour out from the, the landing in airport. He's like, when we land, you have to stay in the seat. He's like, you have to keep your cell phones in your pocket and you cannot get up until you're told to. And I'm like, this is interesting. I'm like, I've never been on where like a captain's been like this, that like, it's like the first time you actually get a glimpse of a captain taking control of the vessel that they're operating. Yeah. Which is weird because normally they're just like the jokey person at the beginning talking about, oh, it's 14 degrees and we're yeah. going to be cruising at 39,000 feet. It's like, that's all you hear from. This was like, he was actually exercising his authority. So in my mind, I'm like... Well, fuck you, man. I'm like, if you think this shit is cell phone worthy, I'm pulling out my fucking cell phone. I'm like, I'll sit here. But I'm like, I'm going to film whatever you think is going to happen right now. And um, so then we land in Toronto and the cops come on the plane. And I'm like, what? interesting. So they go into the back and they're super casual, like paramedics. Like, you know, when paramedics get to like a, a scene of an accident, they never rush. They never panic because it sets panic. If they panic, so it's very like perceived to be slow, but it's methodical and they're always progressing towards what they're trying to accomplish, but it's never fast. They never want to show panic. So as these cops like hands in the pockets, you know, very, you can tell they're very intentionally like just kind of strolling, looking around, not, not really doing very, I mean, to not let this old man who's in the back of the airplane be like, there's these fucking cops on there come for me. It kind of looks like, oh, we're just looking around. What's under the seat? Hey, how you doing? And then they snatch this motherfucker. But he, does, he doesn't resist. Like he just, like these two cops are walking very close, like one in front, then the old man, then another cop, just like very close, kind of setting the tone, pushing without pushing, right? So then they get this guy off the plane. And the captain comes on and he's like, I'm sorry to let you know, but the fight is canceled. We've timed out. We can't take you now to Halifax. Gosh. And I was like, holy <laughs> fuck. I'm like, there's no way that that is real. No. So he's like, we're in the United States side. So you guys are going to have to go through customs. You have to go down and get your bags. You have to go back through security. And you'll see what flight you've been rebooked on to be able to carry on. And I was like, there's no fucking way. Like, 
there's like literally no way. So we sit on the plane for about 20 minutes, maybe half an hour. And he comes back on. He's like, great news. And I'm like, depends who you ask. (laughs) And he's like, we found a crew. They're about to land. And when they land, they're going to come on and they're going to fire up the plane. They're going to continue with you guys on. And I was like, look, bitch, those fuckers are still in the air. You did, what great news are you talking about here? Like you just said they're still flying to Toronto. And when they land, all those people have to get off the airplane. They have to go through their shutdown protocol. They have to walk here to this airplane and they have to go through all their like, you know, starting protocols. And all of them like, what the fuck? How long is this going to take? Then he's like, 20, 30 minutes. I'm like, you 20, 30 minute motherfuckers. You've been saying this all day because <laughs> now it's like, it was five or no, it was 10 o'clock in the morning in Toronto. So like we're what? Um, six o'clock in the morning in on the coast, which now means we have all on this airplane been up for 24 hours. Never mind that the night before I only got three hours of sleep and I just finished traveling for four days before that. So I'm like, I'm sure a lot of people are in a similar boat as me. You just want to get off the fucking airplane. And we still have like an hour and a half to be able to fly to Halifax. So speed it all up about an hour later, this crew shows up, you know, then you go through the whole process. So about 45 minutes later, we take off because they got to go through the French and English versions of the, this is what happens, blah, 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 all of the shit. So then it takes the hour and a half to be able to fly to Halifax. We get there, we land. Where do you think the bags are? They don't know, obviously. So we stand (laughs) there for about another hour and a half until the bags come out because like they just can't find the bags, which seems to be like, how does this happen this many times? But like, this is flying in Canada now. Like, Like I said, I fly nationally in Canada all the time and I see this regularly. This is the worst it's been. But this kind of shit regularly happens flying in Canada. It's like our air travel is horrible. So we get the bags, we go out, we pick up our rental car. And like I said, it's still like another four and a half hours to even get to where the trailhead is, or it's four hours to like the end of the trail where this cabin is, where we're all staying. But now it's noon in Halifax. We're now one o'clock in the afternoon in Halifax. And so we drop. And I'm like, I'm just going to start. I'm like, I don't have the luxury now because we were supposed to get here yesterday. I was supposed to rest, sleep, get up today and had started it at this point in time, six hours ago. Because I can't just extend this trip by two days on the back end. And it's going to take me multiple days to do this. Like, it's not something where it's like, oh, this is going to be a shitty 10 hours. Like, in my mind, I'm like, if I can do this in three days, great. If I can do it in two days, awesome. But like, it's a multi-day experience, right? So, but I'm like, I still have no food. And I still haven't ate. And I haven't showered. You haven't brushed your teeth. Like, nothing. So... I'm like, I need to get at least a couple of these lobster roll sandwiches. I knew I was going to pack a couple of these things um, for the journey. We drive. It's like 4.30 in the afternoon. We get a Tingish, which is on the north side of PEI. 
find this little restaurant, grab a couple of these little lobster roll sandwiches. And in my mind, a lobster roll sandwich is what I've eaten in Vancouver. I've never eaten one in Atlantic Canada. But in my mind, I'm like, if they're that good in like this crispy French baguette bread with like mayonnaise and lobster, like something I've never normally eat, but when you're burning like, you know, 600 calories an hour running and you're doing this for days, it's like you just need calories, right? So that's why my mind just five plus it's the only time I would ever eat shit like that. So then I get there, I get these things and I get this little hot dog bun with like this little bit of lobster in it. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? And they're like, a lobster roll sandwich. I'm like, no, it's not. And they're like, Google it. A traditional lobster roll sandwich is lobster, chunky lobster on hot dog bun. And I was like, there's no fucking way. So I Google it and it literally is like an Atlantic Canada lobster roll sandwich, a traditional one, is like on a hot dog bun with like a few chunks of lobster. Like, Like that's how basic this shit is. All these other versions, the ones that I've ate out here, which I haven't ate for like probably 15 years, they're all these like hybrid fusion versions that are way better. Chives, you know, like a little bit of celery, you know, like mayo, like I said, like the nice crunch on the bread as you're breaking through to the inside, like this creamy experience with this rich lobster, like they're awesome. This fucking garbage, garbage. (laughs) So I have like two of these things. I'm like, well, I have no choice now. I have no protein like at all. I'm like, I'll stop at a gas. Just keep buying beef jerky at gas stations till I can get to another town tomorrow that has like food where I could go to like a grocery store and get like a roast chicken or something like that. Or like a restaurant where I can get like a steak or something, right? So I get this stuff and I start and it's like five o'clock in the afternoon now when I was supposed to start at like six o'clock in the morning that day after all this rest. So I'm like, I have to go all night, which means this will be the second night that I'll be up all night and getting three hours of sleep two days ago, coming off like four days of travel. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm like, you are strong enough to do this, Blake. Mm -hmm. This is the, like, this is why you came here is to have a pilgrimage like this. So I'm like, okay. I start, I'm running, I get about 25K in, and the hunger hits me like a ton of bricks. Like, starving. Like, just wildly starving. So I pull one of these lobster roll sandwiches and I eat it, and it subsides the hunger, but now I realize the calorie deficit that I'm in. Because I feel the little boost in energy from the food, but I'm like, it's not enough. I know it's not enough. And... It's 46K from Tingish to the next town. All these sections are broken off in like these between 45 to 55 kilometer sections. And there's six of them or whatever there is. And um, so I'm okay. I'm like, I'm only, I'm like halfway to the next town is fine. I'm like, I'll get something to eat there. And I had a few Snickers chocolate bars um, in my pack. It's so, because again, when I'm doing like these things, it's like a childhood thing, like a Snickers chocolate bar. And like I said, I haven't probably had a Snickers chocolate bar since I ran the West Coast Trail when I was 30. Well, I know I haven't. And um, so I pull it that and I eat it. I get about one kilometer more. And the pump in my calves was like insane. Like people, bodybuilders would pay to have the pump that I had in my calves <laughs> in their body. It was brutal. Like 
beyond food because I don't eat sugar. Like I have honey, like a tablespoon or two of honey a few times a day, usually on train. Nothing I would get a pump from, but I'm not used to eating all this bullshit. So between the carbs in the bun and all the sugar and the bullshit in the Snickers bar, like my calves just won't work anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm still trying to run, but I have no dorsing plantar flexion in my ankle. And I can feel my feet now just like hitting the ground. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this sucks. So I'm okay. I get about 35K into it. I go, I'm like, I got about 10 more K to go. I'll run, walk, run one, walk one, run one, walk one. I'm like, I'm going to walk anyway. Just like, let's bring down the pace down a little bit. Because I'm like, now my ankles are starting to swell up. I got club foot going on beginning stages. And, but I'm like, the rest of my body feels fine. And my mind feels fine. But just from my knees down, just doesn't work. It just legitimately doesn't work anymore. So then the sun starts to kind of set a little bit. And I'm just like looking out at all this beautiful farmland. I'm just trying to appreciate the visual side of everything and how beautiful everything is. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, this is so nice. These fields are nice. They have these nice irrigation canals right here to be able to irrigate this land. Then the fucking mosquitoes. And I've seen like one or two and I'm like, oh, fine, whatever, pat him. Then sun goes down a little bit more and it's just like hair on my body. Because there's no animals around anywhere. There's no other people. There's no nothing. So I'm like, I am just live bait for these mosquitoes. And these mosquitoes are like horse flies. They're not like the mosquitoes we have in BC. They're not like mosquitoes in Alberta. They're not like mosquitoes that I've ever seen in my life, I could take my hand on my arm and swoosh it down and I could see the mosquitoes over here that I pushed off my arm and the trail that no longer has them and then the mosquitoes are else. I had welts all over my neck, like my face, the back of my head, in my hair. I was pulling like this at my hair, pulling mosquitoes out of my hair. Like oh that's gosh. the degree this was. I've never, never experienced mosquitoes like this ever. So I'm like, you know, every time I run, I realize I'm like, oh, I'm like, if I run faster or if I run between about a 640 and 720 pace, it's these mosquitoes can't keep up with me. Mm. So I'm like, oh, now I understand how fast you fly. So, but I'm like, I can't fucking run for like, I'm like, like, pushing myself to run a K. I'm negotiating in my mind if I just do 500 meters instead yeah. of the kilometer and maybe walk 250, yeah. you know, I can go, but I'm like, no, I'm like, run one, walk one. That was your goal. Don't start modifying your goal. You have a long fucking way to go. You just, just get in this program, keep the cycle going. Don't play the mind games. So I'm like, okay. So it gets to the point where I'm about 39 K and now 40 K And I just, like my whole body is just like a mosquito bite. And I'm now running so slow that these mosquitoes, like I can't stave them off. So I'm like, there's no point in walking now. I might as well just try to push the run. So I'm like, it's about five, six K, seven K to O'Leary. And I'm just going to do it. So I'm like, I just hunger down and I'm like, just run fast enough that the majority of the mosquitoes are off you. You're not going to run fast enough to get them all off. Just weed out the young and the sick and the old. Yeah. Right? And so I'm running, and I finally get to O'Leary, and it's like 9.30 at night. And I'm like, I need bug spray. I see this shell station. And, like, these are villages. They're not towns. There's, like, 
a gas station, one really big farm, and then like a few houses around this. And Cavendish potatoes is huge out there. So this is a huge Cavendish farm that's there. But I get to the Shell station and it's fucking closed. No. And I was like, oh my God. I'm like, this is brutal. Yeah. I'm like, I, I need this bug spray. Yeah. So I'm like, my legs are trashed. I need to just go lay down with my legs up in the air to let some blood filter out of my legs, let the blood filter out of my calves. I need my body to work through flushing this blood out of my calves into the rest of my body, refilter this blood, you know, I'll just down a ton of water, flush everything out the best I can, and then I'll keep on walking. But I'm like, what I really need is just a nap. I knew I needed just to rest, like to not walk, not run, for about the last hour and a half or two hours. But I'm like, I can't because these mosquitoes were eating me alive. And now I'm in a parking lot of a building in this small little village and the mosquitoes are bad, but I would just let them bite me because there's not as many of them, but still brutal. I lay down for about two minutes, instantly going to shock. And now I'm like laying there just convulsing on the ground. So in my mind, I'm just like, you have to get up. You, if you lay here, there's nobody around. I'm like, if you lay here, it's like, yes, it's 16 degrees outside and it's supposed to be 16 degrees all through the night. But in the state of shock you're in, you could die of exposure out here. I'm like, I know this. Like, nobody has to tell me that this mm -hmm. situation is happening. I mean, like, I know this shit is happening. Mm -hmm. So I get up and I start walking around. I'm like, fuck, I'm like, what am I going to do? Ironically, there's this little barn beside this building that I'm at and I hear this music. So I go walking over there and there's this, I look through the window and it's this little gym and there's a woman inside working out. And I was like, oh fuck, I'm like, sweet. Like maybe I just have a shower. Maybe I'll just ask her if I can just pay just to sit in here. And I'm about to knock on the window and then I'm like, is she gonna think that like I'm a threat? Cause like it's nighttime. I'm this like strange guy, I'm like, headlamp on, balclava on to, for the mosquitoes. Like, I'm like, this doesn't look, I'm like something inside me was like, this isn't good. If you, if you try to be even polite or talk, I'm like, there's something about this that doesn't feel right right now. Hmm. Walk away. So I walk away and I'm like looking around, I'm like calling a couple people. I'm like, you know, like what should I do? And there's like, you know, there's like, well, yeah, there he, like either have to call it off or like find a way to be able to keep on going. So I'm like, okay, it's the second I stop for longer than a couple minutes, my body just instantly goes into shock. But like walking is keeping it off and thinking is help keeping it at bay. If I stop and actualize the situation, my whole body just shuts down and goes into shock. So I see these two guys sitting in the shell parking lot in trucks talking side by side. I'm like, I'm gonna go ask these guys I'm like, I can't walk down the trail because of all the mosquitoes and I don't have this bug spray because the shell station is closed. But I'm like, if I take this highway here, does it connect up with anything that gets me going back this way, like south, so that it connects back up with this trail in this town I'm trying to get to? So I'm like, hey guys, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm just I'm running this trail, getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. And then now they're just laughing at me because they're like, nobody told you about the mosquitoes. And I was like, no. And they're just like, yeah, they're like horse flies. They're like, we have the worst mosquitoes in Canada. So like, then it becomes this, this thing, super helpful. You know, like they're just, we're, they're showing me on Google Maps, go down this highway, it's about 4K. There's a Tim Hortons on the corner, take a right, head south, and you'll end up in Summerside, the town that you're trying to get to, taking this trail. 
And they're like, if you think the mosquitoes were bad where you were, it's way marshier. The next section of the trail, the mosquitoes would have been a hundred times worse. And I'm like, how? Like, how could they have got worse than what they were? Like, that doesn't even compute to me. Doesn't even make any sense. And they're just like, trust me. They're like, the mosquitoes are worse down there. And I'm like, fair enough. So I'm walking down this road and it's like 1130 at night, midnight. And they're just like, when you get to the Tim Hortons, you can walk through the drive through because it's not open, but it's open 24 hours. So you just can't go inside. So I walked the 4K down. I get to this Tim Hortons. I'm like, I'm going to grab a coffee, kind of just help fuel me up, get me through the night. What I'm thinking is I'm like, I need to get to Summerside because once daybreak happens, I can lay down in a park somewhere and sleep for a bit. Because even if my body goes into shock, I don't have to worry as much about dying of exposure because it's daytime now and like the sun's out and like I feel more comfortable with that. Like that's, I'm like, that's okay. And I'm like, I can walk the 45K to Summerside. I have no issue with that at all. So I get there to fill up my water bottles. I get this coffee. I buy this like shit Tim Hortons, um, like turkey club sandwich. I peel just the bacon and the meat and the cheese off it and I'm eating it and I'm reminiscing now about the last three days of this shit airport food and everything that I've been eating and I'm like no wonder like my body's like fucked up I'm like I've had nothing good to eat for days now Mm -hmm. I'm on the basically the third night of no sleep and I'm like halfway through that night and I go to sit down I'm like I got my greens powder and I have my noon electrolyte tabs I'm like I'm going to throw two or three noon electrolyte tabs like in this big 1.5 thing of water and I'm going to put a couple scoops of greens in my other one. I'm like, if I can't good, get good quality protein and calories, I at least need nutrients and electrolytes, like at a minimum. Like these, I need resources and if this is all the resources I'm going to get, I got to load up on this shit. So then I'm sitting there trying to mix this stuff and now my body is in such a state of shock, standing there trying to even put the powders and the tabs in my water is forcing or putting my body into shock. Like I can't even actually just stop now, like at all. And this woman pulls up and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm running the um, Confederation trail, but I'm like, the mosquitoes were killing me. So I was leery, I came up here and I'm just gonna take this highway two down to Summerside. And then I'm gonna rest in the morning and then I'm gonna keep on going. And she's like, do you realize how dangerous it is what you're doing right now? And I was like, no, I'm like, I do stuff like this all the time. Because like, I do do stuff like this all the time. I'm not arguing some point that I don't. I'm like, that guy that's like, oh, never done anything this before, but I don't want to admit it because this person's asking me. It's like, no, like I've been in like, I do shit like this. And she's like, why don't you just let me give you a ride to Summerside? And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, well, the problem is because I came here to do the trail. That's like 45K that I'm not going to have done. And if I get to Summerside in like an hour from now, I'm still going to be in the same predicament I am here right now. It's still going to be nighttime and my body's still going to be fucked up and I'm still going to have to keep on going after that. So what does this even prove? It's actually better for me just to walk the 45K. So I'm like, no, thanks. She's like, are you sure? So she actually sits in her car and waits until I'm done everything and waits until I leave and then get out of like sightline before she drives away in her car. And I'm like thinking the whole time, I'm like, how does this woman at like now like one o'clock in the morning in the middle of nowhere with some strange guy, why, why, why does she want, like, why does she want to help me? Because like, 
would you do anything like that? Like a lot of women I've talked to, like they're like, I've never fucking pick up some guy one o'clock in the morning, like asking, like trying to give him a ride. Like it's insane. Like you never know what this guy's gonna do to me, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm going down now. I'm like, I'm kind of getting into like the groove now. I'm like, you know, like 50k, 55k, 60k. I'm just like kind of pounding through the kilometers. I'm watching like the moon go by, and I get to like I'm passing this like little church and I see like these these people sitting in the parking lot and I keep on going and then I hear like this like rustling in the trees because like the highways lined in trees and I can hear like this giggling and stuff and I was like I'm like these fucking teenagers they're messing with me they're like in the trees right now messing with me and now it's at the point too where like my ankles and I have club foot on both feet I can't move my knees I can't move my ankles it's so bad that the majority of the time now I'm walking backwards because I can't functionally walk forward fast enough to stave off the shock because I'm walking so slow now. So then I turn around walking backwards and I just, I hear like this, like giggling, like, like taunting me and like making fun of me. And I'm like, fuck. So I turn off my headlamp and I'm like, I kind of like walk over a little bit and I try to like hide. And I'm like, as soon as I get a glimpse of you guys, I'm going to fucking rush at you. I'm going to use all my energies to come at you guys. And I'm like, listening, I can't hear anything. And I'm like, fuck. So they know that I'm trying to like do something to them. So I turn my headlight back on. I'm walking backwards down the uh, center line on the highway because this is a tiny little highway in the middle of nowhere. There's like one car like every 45 minutes that goes down this highway. And they just keep taunting me, taunting me, and taunting me. And I'm just like, fuck. So then I'm sitting there and I'm, my body is so broken at this point in time. And my mind is so broken that I realize there's no people. Like, I'm delirious. I'm like, now I'm so delirious that I'm hearing voices of people taunting me. I'm in the middle of absolutely nowhere. I'm walking backwards at about 1.8 kilometers an hour. Like, that's slow. Like, that's really slow. But that's all my body has to give me. So I'm like, I need to get like, I need some reprieve. I'm going to call Lisa to come pick me up. I try to make a call, no cell service. And I was like, fuck. I'm like, we gotta keep on going. So I go walk down a little bit further, walking backwards, try to make another call. Goes through, she doesn't pick up. It's like two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, she's sleeping, obviously. So then I call and I call and I call, call like six times, finally she picks up the phone. And I'm like, I need you to come pick me up. I'm like, everything's totally fine. I'm like, I just need a little bit of a break. And I'm nowhere near like being able to take a break. I'm like, I just, I just need to take a break. And she's like, I don't think you're okay. And I'm like, no, 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 totally fine. <laughs> I just need you to come pick me up. I just need a little bit of a break. And she's like, okay, totally fine. But I'm like three and a half hours away from where you're at. And I was like, I totally forgot about that. Totally forgot. So I'm like, I've now been on this trail for almost 12 hours, but of course, it's only an hour drive. You're driving like 120, 130 kilometers an hour. So like I'm gauging the distance in my mind about how long it kind of took us to drive versus how long I think it's going to take for her to get to me. I'm thinking it's like 20 minutes, but it's like three hours. So I'm like, well, fuck, that's not good. But in my mind, I'm like, at least she's coming. I can keep this up for like another three hours. So she calls back. She's like, I totally forgot I was going to get gas in the morning. By the time I got down to this cabin, I'm like, 
she's like, I didn't really have any gas left. I wasn't planning on going anywhere. She's like, I have to stop at the gas station for a long way. It'll take me an extra five minutes. No problem. So she calls me from the gas station. The gas station's closed. And I'm like, of course it's because I just went through the same thing over here. She's like, the closest gas station is 45 minutes in the opposite direction. And I was like, fuck. So now I'm thinking, I'm like, it's gonna be like four hours. So I'm like, thinking, I'm like, do you even come? He's up again, four hours from now, it's gonna be light outside. And now my problem's gonna be solved. So she's like, I'm gonna keep on driving until I run out of gas, but I'm gonna call BCA right now and tell them that I've ran out of gas so that they can come fill the tank. So she calls, or like, as she's saying that, she runs out of gas on the highway. And she calls BC, she lets me go, calls BCA, and they're just like, our policy is we give you enough gas to get to the next gas station. She's like, but the gas stations are closed. And they're just like, yes, but our policy is just to get you to a gas station. She's like, they open up at eight o'clock in the morning. She's like, that's in like five hours from now. So you want me as a woman, you're gonna get me to somewhere that puts me in a vulnerable position and you guys are okay with that? And they're like, well, that's just BCA's policy. So the guy shows up to fill up uh, the car with gas and then he's just like, well, I'll give you enough gas to get to this next town down here, um, which has a 24 hour gas station, but it's like technically against policy, we're not supposed to be doing this. So then she calls me back. She's like, I can get this gas, I can get to this town, but it's probably gonna be about like two and a half hours, like at least if not three by the time I get to you. And I'm like, okay, this is not good. I'm like, thinking about it. I'm like, okay, great, babe. You know, like, talk to you later. Get off the phone with her. And I'm like, I like I need something right now. Like, I can't do, like, I don't know if I even should try to push this for like another three hours. Like, I my body's in shock. I'm clearly going delusional. I don't have anything to like to eat. My body is super fucked. And so I try to call a cab. No cell service. I can't, I can make a call, but I can't Google anything. I'm like on a 4G network. Like, it just, it won't load the page. And I'm like, fuck, I'm like, what do I do? I'm like, I can't call, like, listen, explain this situation. Like, then she's going to freak out and it doesn't help me any. So I'm like, I got to call 911. So I called 911 and I'm talking to the operator. And I'm like, look, I'm in an emergency situation, but I don't need an ambulance or a cop car. What I really need is a cab. I'm like, if you can get me a cab, that's all I need. But I can't load the page to be able to get the cab driver's information or the cab company's information to call them to come get me. And she's like, well, where are you? And I'm like, I actually don't know. She's like, well, where's your car? And I'm like, I don't have one. And she's just like, well, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm running this trail. And as I'm saying this, I'm like, I can sound, I, I know I sound like I'm high. Like I'm on drugs or I'm drunk or something. You know, it's like three o'clock in the morning. Like you can imagine this woman's like, you're a fucking idiot. Like you're wasting my time. I've taken me like 10, 15 minutes to convince her to connect me to a cab company. She connects me to the cab company. This grumpy old fucker picks up the phone, which like I said, it's like three o'clock in the morning. Of course he's grumpy. He asked me the same questions and he's basically like, you're a fucking idiot. He's like, nobody's coming to pick you up. He's like, we're not, I'm not sending somebody. I was like, Oh, a guy on the highway that you don't know where you are. Like you imagine the prank calls these people probably get being a cab company at like three o'clock in the morning, right? So I came in some, I'm like, look, man, I'm like, this is a legit call. I'm like, if you're worried about the money, I'm like, I have cash and I have my credit card. Like, don't worry about payment. I will pay your guy. Don't worry. He's like, I'll send a guy out there. He's like, you have to promise me 
and I'm going on your word that you're not going to flag anybody down or call another cab company. And I'm like, easy. I'm like, I'm calling you for, I'm not going to screw you over if you're going to come help me. He's like, my cab guy is probably about 45 minutes to an hour away. I'm like, better than three. Totally fine. He's like, look out for a blue Honda Civic. (laughs) Fair enough. So about 10 minutes later, I see this car coming and I was like, I'm like, that'd be so nice if it was this guy. Blue Honda Civic goes ripping by me. And I was like, how did he get here so fast? I'm like, why is he still driving? I'm the only fucking person on the road. I have a headlamp. I'm look, you can clearly see me. I'm like, maybe he was going so fast looking at his phone. He didn't see me. So I call the cab guy back. And I'm like, look, man, I'm like, your driver just drove past me. He's like, he's like, okay, so he hangs up on me. And then I see brake lights. So I'm like, fuck, he called the guy. Guy stopped and turned around. Wait for a minute. Okay, yeah, he's turning around. He's coming, drives past me. I'm standing this down, saying on the highway. I'm like, waving my light. I'm like, what in the fuck? Like, how do you not see me? <laughs> So then I see brake lights about half a kilometer down the road. Turns and comes back. He parks and he's like facing me with his lights. So I'm like trying to like walk around. He starts reversing. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, do you want to see my driver's license or something? Or like, do you want a credit card? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, your boss, like, who are you here to pick up then? He's like, what do you, like, nobody. And I'm like, what do you, he's just like, I'm not a cab. And I was like, what are the fucking odds that there'd be another blue Honda Civic coming down? So I'm like, why did you stop there? He's like, well, you look like you needed help. And I was like, yeah, I needed help. And, but you can tell this guy doesn't really want to have anything to do with me. Cause it's like, again, why in the fuck are you out here? Like three o'clock in the morning on this highway, all alone, seemingly with no fucking resources. Like, where's your car? Not saying by a car that's ran out of gas or a flat tire or anything like that. Right. So I'm like, I'm just, I need a cab. He says, okay, so then he takes off. Then I call the cab guy uh, back and I say, sorry, it wasn't your driver. There's another blue Honda Civic. So I'm starting to think, so then this guy's like, basically, you gotta be kidding me. You're gonna try to tell me that your junky ass now seen another blue Honda Civic. Like I can tell by the way he's talking to me that he's like, you're some fucking crackhead on the highway. Because now you're telling me that, like, my driver turned around. Because now his driver's going the other way, trying to find me, because I flagged down the wrong Honda Civic. So then he, his, he gets on the phone with his cab driver on the something else. I can hear them talking, and then I get a phone call from PI. So I hang up on this guy, and I pick it up, and it's the cab guy. And I was like, look, dude, I'm like, I'm sorry. What are the odds there's another blue Honda Civic on this highway? I'm sorry I told you to got this guy to tell you to turn around. Can you please come get me? This is the situation. He's like, I'll be there. It's going to still take me about a half an hour, 45 minutes to get there. I'm like, fair enough. I'm like, I'm just going to, I have to keep on walking. I can't stay where I'm at. I have to keep on walking or else it's not going to be good for me. Just keep an eye out for me. So then like 40 minutes later, I see this little pyramid that's lit up on the top of this car, which is like an old school cab thing. It's those little signs on the top. Mm -hmm. This guy pulls over and I was like, oh my God. I'm like, cab, great, hop in. And I get to, uh, he's like, where are you going? I'm like, I just need to get to Summerside. Drop me off like anywhere where you think there's people. Cause I'm like, if I need medical attention, 
I need people around to be like, this guy needs medical attention. So I'm like, you actually might as well just take me to the hospital. Cause he's like, there's nothing open. He's like, this is a tiny little village. He's like, there's nothing there that's really going to be open. So I'm like, take me to the hospital. I'll go to the emergency room then. And, uh, and they'll check myself in. I'll get an IV and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and then we started driving and uh, we get to this hospital and I'm like, wait, I'm like, if I check myself in, then I'm going to be here for like 24 hours. And I'm like, I don't want that shit. So I call this and I'm like, where are you? She's like, I'm about half an hour away from the gas station. So I say, I'm like, how long does it take for us to get from here to the ga- this gas station? And I'm like, how much is it going to cost? And he's like, he's like about half an hour. And he's like, the whole trip will be about 200 bucks. It's like 170 bucks. And uh, so I'm like, okay, I'm like, fuck it. I'm coming to the gas station because I don't want to get dropped off here and then still have to wait like another like hour or more because you're half an hour away from the gas station and then the other half an hour here, mm-hmm. I'll just meet you there to cut to the chase. Mm-hmm. So then we're driving there and this talking to this guy and he starts telling me about how he makes porn avatars as his day job and he just drives cab at night so he can make like a hundred grand a year working on and he's a night owl anyway. And how these women and these men, and where porn is now on the internet, it's not like you porn and Pornhub where everybody goes to like take care of a little business on their own and peace out for the rest of their day. They actually have these sex toys that are, you can sync them to these avatars. So when you do something with one of these sex toys to the other avatar online, it does it to the person in real time. And they were like haptic feedback suits too. So like if I'm grabbing your boobs, you feel me grabbing your boobs. If like I have this like vibrator and I'm using it on you, like you feel that shit. Because you're watching your avatar being sexualized on there, but you are going through this experience. So like a lot of them are like, you know, like furries and like this. And that's like, it realizes it a lot more for them. And I was like, I had no idea. Like I had zero idea like any of this shit existed. And I'm like, that is wild to me. That's where porn is now. Because porn, when I was growing up, was like legit just like your dad's playboy. Like that whole cliche, your dad's playboy thing, that's been porn to me. And then it got into like, you know, internet searches, like online. And it was like wild that you could get that shit on your phone. It was like a video. Like, but it's, it was light years past that now. So mm-hmm. it's like, and you have no idea that it's happening. So it gives you that realization now about how much other shit is happening in this world you have no idea about because you're not plugged into like that market, right? Mm-hmm. So we get to this gas station and it's like 5.30 in the morning now and I'm like, just fuck my life in every part to it. Once we get in the car, it's still another hour and a half to the cabin where, like, where we're staying or two hours to get to the cabin like where we're staying. And it was like, that sums it up. Like there's like trickles to the story that are more than I'm sure that like, you know, I'm like, oh, I forgot to tell that part. But it's like, how fucked up is that? Holy man. So I did about 85K. Wow. Like just insane. Yeah. So there's so many life lessons that I can pull out of that. Like whether it's the trusting your gut at the beginning and should have never have left. Mm-hmm. No matter what the social pressures may be. And no matter what, like, you know, I'm not hurting any, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not harming anybody. Like their feelings might have been hurt that I canceled this. But I'm not hurting anybody in any kind of way so like it should have been fine we're all adults like we're all in our 40s like it should have been okay you know then it gets to like if i would have just appreciated like this pilgrimage of this i should have accepted the ride from the woman 
no matter what that outcome would be, because who knows what the actual end result of that would have been. But you know, when I was in the cab, just having that reprieve, knowing that I was in a safe environment in this cab, I was away from the mosquitoes, I was off my feet. If my body went into shock or I went into cardiac arrest, I was gonna be okay because I was now with somebody. They could have called 911, they could drive to hospital. Like, so it relaxed my body. Something I had been trying to do for like six hours is just take a break. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't because of just the state my body was in or the mosquitoes. And because of the mosquitoes, it ultimately pushed my body into the state of shock because I needed to rest at the point when the mosquitoes started to bed, but I had no way to shelter myself from the mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. And when I was at that Tim Hortons, I actually Googled a, a hotel to see him, but the hotel was like 45 or 47 kilometers away. So like it was absolutely no, it was actually in the town I was trying to get to because there was no hotel in this little village that I was in. So like that's how far I went just to be like, I just need to give my body this break, right? Mm-hmm. So like I said, there's just, there's, there's so much to take away of it. But the, the biggest lesson that I learned out of it all is that I, I'm so mentally and emotionally strong that I can take my body to a place where I probably could literally walk my body to death. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I was really close to that because, you know, like at this point in time, like you're talking now in three full days, I had slept for between three and four hours, three days ago mm-hmm. and had eaten nothing. And in my mind, my mind is still like, Blake, you got this shit, man. Mm-hmm. Like, you got this, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just go for it. Mm-hmm. And no normal person would do that. And I don't mean no. that as a pat on myself mm-hmm. back to me. I'm saying, like, that's how fucking dumb I can be because of the tools I've given myself over the course of time to be able to push myself, which is not good because there needs to be that interjection of somebody that I respect. Mm -hmm. So when I actually went out with Craig last night Mm -hmm. and I was explaining this story to him because we haven't talked since I got back. This was all just a couple weeks ago. And he was just like, you need somebody to spot you, to tell you when it's time to shut it down. But I'm like, there's very few people where I would respect their opinion Mm -hmm. because you have to look at somebody, anybody who's done anything extreme knows that when somebody tells you you're doing too much, they have need to have done more. Yeah. Because you're just like, oh, so if somebody's done less than you, you first think, what the fuck do you know? Mm-hmm. You're like, you don't know what this is like, and this is why I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm here to break myself so from 40 to 50, I can leverage this moment because I've created a new moment, a new extreme moment to be like, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. I can't rely on the 30 because that was 10 years ago. I can't drag that for another 10 years. I can't rely on what happened 20 years ago for another 10 years because it's 30 years ago. I need to create these new moments that allow me to be able to leverage these resources and I need to be able to create new environments to leverage the resources that I have based on who I am right now Mm -hmm. when that moment also happens, not the person who I was when I was 30. Mm-hmm. thinking about who now I am at 40. Mm-hmm. It's not even the same thing. Mm-hmm. So then you need somebody who understands that methodology too, being mm-hmm. like, I need to be here to be able to understand who I am for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't just about doing this. This is way bigger than that. Mm-hmm. It's not just about the run. It's not just about the event. It's not just this why 
I don't care about doing sanctioned events. So I don't care about being first. I don't care about breaking the best time on this trail. It's like, I'm here to learn something about myself. Mm-hmm. So Pushing yourself was, past your own limits. Yeah. So you can literally tap into that later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because so you don't my, know what life's going to throw at you. You don't know what the next 10, 20, 30 years are going to be. No. And so you need to be able to pull ammo and tools out of your toolbox for when things really go south. Yeah. That is fascinating. It's wild. And this mm-hmm. thing is, like, when I've told this story to people, there's not a lot of great conversation that typically happens, like, after it. But then, like, a couple days later, when, like, the whole thing is kind of sunk in there, I get in really great conversation with people like that because mm-hmm. it's, like, they've had time to kind of filter through how absurd the whole thing is mm-hmm. because there's so many moments that are so absurd. Mm-hmm. It's, like, where do you start? Mm-hmm. And I don't think everyone is wired that way. So it's like when I hear your story, it brings me back to times with myself. And when I told certain situations or scenarios, people would think I'm just out to lunch. Mm -hmm. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, what are you trying to prove? And the way you just articulated your words where it's like, you're not trying to prove anything to anybody. You're literally trying to leverage new and creative tools that you've created in your own psyche so that you can have the ability to like be able to handle the new challenges of the new adventures that are going to be coming at you. Well, and like, look, and this is the way that I look at it. And it's what I don't think that a lot of people understand because they're, they're not educated culturally enough about different cultures to understand. There's a lot of cultures, even to this day where you have to go through a ceremony to be able Mm -hmm. to get to that next stage of life. And I look at moments like this, like, you know, and I know in uh, like, like first nation culture and in culture that there's like that sun ceremony where they like legit just put hooks in their body, hang themselves from a tree in the fucking summertime with no water, no food or nothing for days. Mm -hmm. And and that was like the pilgrimage into like being a man. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what do we do? Learn how to jerk off? Like, mm-hmm. like that's the fucking difference. It's yeah. like, that's what people relate that to. And I'm like, no, man. I'm like, people were tested. Mm-hmm. So no matter what I do now, mm-hmm. it's nowhere near like the systems that people had to be tested in to prove yourself worthy. Mm-hmm. You know, like look at hunting and like killing some vicious beast. And that was your right to manhood. Going to a neighboring tribe mm-hmm. and like, fucking up that got that tribe's warrior like mm-hmm. taking out the best warrior in your tribe like mm-hmm. these were some things as a man were like you had to like do to be able to get to this next stage or whatever that may be like but there's nothing now no. there's literally nothing that is a man or a woman that tests you like that unless if you understand that it's an innate part of your dna the fiber of you to find those things to mm-hmm. be able to test yourself mm-hmm. because it runs rich in all of us mm-hmm. because how do you ever know mm-hmm. like you can't tell me like how you handle yourself in traffic or a shitty person online or a shitty client or a shitty boss like if that is your threshold of how you were tested for a human being like it's so poor. Mm-hmm. Like I want my shit to be so fucking extreme that when those things happen, they are so mediocre mm-hmm. that you just don't even care. Mm-hmm. 
they're not even on your radar. And you know that from the stuff that you've gone through in your life where you're like, mm-hmm. when somebody is being an asshole, you're like, no, 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 I know what shitty life is like. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to care about this conversation like the second you stop talking. Mm-hmm. So just say what you have to say and we can both go on our merry way and I will be like, that was annoying. But I know because I've been in situation X, that that's shitty. Like, this is not. And people don't realize what a gift that is. Mm-hmm. Because I think like going through life and just living this docile life with no ups, no downs, and it's just like flatline. Like it's just so absurd that people think that that's like living. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I, I love the medieval days. I love the days where it's like, you know, people actually put effort into something and they actually grew from something and they had to go through these trials and tribulations and they had to evolve on like such a such a powerful level intellectually because of the pain and torment that they just went in isolation Mm -hmm. and you know that's why we like you know that's why people like to watch those like war movies and you know and it's like it's amazing what people can go through but not many people put themselves in a position to go through that because they're uncomfortable being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and very few are addicted to being uncomfortable because of the growth aspect they get on the other side and so it's just your story is just so inspiring so like it's just it's something that like I feel like so honored to like have heard and like you know and everything that you went through I'm glad you survived yeah yeah well it's because it's because (laughs) you understand because you have that same that same thing that's nagging inside of you, mm-hmm. that nags inside of me, mm-hmm. that makes that stuff okay. It's the one thing that I've learned, especially since starting this podcast, when people ask me to like be on theirs or, you know, like come speak at this or talk at that. And they're just like, why do you do what you do? And I'm like, oh, I used to want to talk to you people. Yeah. But I don't anymore. No. So I'm like, you don't get it. And I'm not going to try to explain it to you because it, like you always start the conversation Blake's done this crazy shit and like he puts his life on the line. I'm like, oh, here we go. Like the nothing I'm going to say we are going to have a good conversation about because you just don't get it. Yeah. Instead, I'm like, okay, so what did you learn? Mm. And what kind of growth did you have? And how, how do you compare that growth to the last thing that you did? And can you push yourself more? Yeah. Have you adapted and recovered where now when you're going into your 50s, what's next? exactly because that's the thing is to me like i said i'm like at 50 when my youngest is 16 and my oldest is 22 like i'm gonna go do pct and that is three or four months like you do the entire continental united states like you know south to north and it's like that's gonna be wild Mm -hmm. and i can't wait Mm -hmm. because like things like this like they don't deter me because i'm like I, at the end of the day, when people are like, whoa, Blake, you're so good. Like, why would you have a death wish? And it's like, but also realize that when I was at a junction where I could have kept on going down the path, but I chose to go down the highway. I went down the highway because I knew it was safer. Like I still have, like, I'm not like the person who's going to keep making shitty decisions. The entire decision might look really fucked up, but I can still fundamentally make the best decision in that moment. Like I was trying to find a hotel. I walked down the highway, you know, like I called 911 to be able to get me a cab when I couldn't get the page myself. Like, you know, like I called Alyssa, like I I did all of these things that 
in my mind, I'm happy about where I can leverage being like, no matter how fucked up I am, I can still make a choice what, of reason. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. a, a decision that errs on the side of being a good decision. Is it the best one that can be made? Well, no, because hindsight is 2020. You know, like I could have got the woman at Tim Hortons at that moment be like, you should drive me to the hospital because I'm fucked up. But like, sure. But in that moment, I actually didn't feel like I needed that. Mm-hmm. Speed forward, it's like, well, yeah, that might have been a good decision. However, again, like, you, you, you have you to, like, push suss a little further. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm like? At that moment, I wasn't broken enough to prove anything to myself or to learn anything about myself because I had been that broken many times in the past. Mm-hmm. I needed to be more broken than that mm-hmm. to be able to really understand and learn. He's like, that's why I'm here. I flew all the way across one of the biggest countries mm-hmm. in the entire planet to learn, mm-hmm. not to do, but mm-hmm. to learn. Mm-hmm. So, which is what one thing that I learned is like, there's honestly good people that they want to help. Like, who the fuck is this woman? Mm-hmm. And then I've had people even ask me, like, did she exist? Or were you already delirious? You'll never know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, you want to believe if she didn't actually exist, which I know that she did because of, like, her car, and I'm standing there talking, there's no way that it wasn't. But, like, that concept, that premise of, like, could your imagination create that? It's like, I would love that in that moment, my mind could being like, you still got this. I'm going to fucking lie to you to the degree that I'm going to bring you thoughts and hallucinations that there's somebody there that's willing to help to be able to keep on getting you to go. Cause I know you can keep on going instead of having that person that says, Blake, I know you can do more than this. Mm-hmm. Like my own mind could set me up for that moment, mm-hmm. which is, really kind of like what that situation actually represents to me. Fascinating. So cool. But the thing is, like, how do you, if you're just sitting there and one of those people and mindlessly scrolling through social media or fucking watching Netflix or doing mediocre dumb shit, like, how do you ever get to the point where you're like, aha. You know, like, even like one of the moments where, like, I left a voice note for a list on WhatsApp and I'm like, I just want to let you know that, like, I really honestly feel shitty when I feel like I'm treating you like shit. So, but would I, or like, would it take six months or a year for me to think of, is there ever a moment that creates, even though like, obviously that's bouncing around in here and in here, Mm -hmm. but I needed to be in that moment where it became so real Mm -hmm. that I had to make the call. Mm -hmm. So it's like, that's why I do it. Moments like, like that Mm -hmm. is like why I want to do it, you know, because Mm -hmm. how else do they happen? I get it. Totally get it. And that's why, like, I, I I can sit here and, like, with you and, like, why we're such good friends and I love and respect you so much is because it's, like, yes, it taps into those things inside of you that's, like, fuck, like, what can I do that's like that? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. like, I love that with someone talking to people. Like, Craig, last night, when he immediately, you can see when he's, like, when I was at Iron Man or when I was, like, on this training day, getting ready for my second full Ironman. And I'm like, and I'm like, Oh, I love that. I'm just like, tell me now, like, yeah. you know, like, like what was that? And then, you know, then he goes down that rabbit hole and like, I've gone down the rabbit hole with you and you told me your stories. And it's like, I love that shit. Cause I'm like, these are the, like my people where it's like, I only, 
I love sharing life with all of you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you love sharing like the growth past your own limiting boundaries mm-hmm. and then realizing that those boundaries are non-existent. And now you're trying to figure out, you know, if there even are boundaries, you know, and it's amazing what people are capable of. You know, history has shown us what people are capable of. But for some reason, I don't know what happened to our society, but over time, people are just incapable of extraordinary things unless they put themselves in positions where they can eventually attain those through growth circumstances. But very little people do that. Mm-hmm. We're all very comfortable in our little white picket fence houses and watching our little Netflix. And it's just, it's insane how docile our community has become. Well, and, and so this is the interesting part. Like I've actually been talking about this quite a bit for the last few months. Um, so history is actually always been like how it is right now. When you look at the privileged class, which is those like air quotes, lazy, gifted, you know, like entitled people. They've always been there. They've sent systematically throughout the world. Like look at Australia was a prison colony. Mm-hmm. So was North America. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you look at a lot of the settlements here, especially that's one thing I've learned about like Nova Scotia, like all the prison camps that were here, like basically from like, you know, the Europeans sent over their prisoners. And there was just prisons mm-hmm. like in Eastern Canada in like the 1700s mm-hmm. like they're still there you can go see them today and then you look at people like christopher columbus that now we know is just a fucking psychopath mm-hmm. and all these people that were like when a king or a queen was like we want to go explore some new territory the person who stuck up their hand isn't gonna be anybody in the privileged class it's gonna be that fucking psychopath that thinks that shit's a good idea to hop on a boat and go who knows where because you think the earth is fine you might just fall off the other side like, that's like what people thought back yeah. then. So who are the people who are the explorers? Mm-hmm. They are not this, like, what I think most people have wanted them to be through history is, like, these noble, great human beings that were just, like, had wanderlust. It was, like, bloodthirsty savages that were psychopaths that got here and actually killed most of the fucking people here yep. to claim the land. Yeah. Like... That's who they were. Like, we can't, I'm not saying we should erase history because of it, but I'm like, let's just be honest. Yeah. Because, like, that's that's human beings. Mm-hmm. Like, there's this privileged class, there's these crazy fuckers, and then there's just this meat in between and just fucking useless people. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how the society has always been. It's just the it crazy people it, yeah. now are just, like, they. we have these outlets where, like, we have professional sports we have extreme activities. We have these things where all those crazy fuckers aren't going around murdering and conquering land because we have like other ways to be able to do that where we've created war-like scenarios in other different, you know, visual and physical components where like it still taps into that. Never mind just war on top of it. Yeah, we've created different avenues for them to have that outlet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's It's so fascinating, yeah. I love meeting like different levels of athletes that you know that are able to tap into that though Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 just it's so bizarre that it's not spoken of of, you know more often Mm because it should it's it's so you know you you hear about people that maybe you know went to school and got their different degrees or they you know achieved something great in art or this and that 
but then to achieve something that is on like a neurological level and to be able to push your adrenals in your body and you know your physiology on a different level like that's not spoken of enough mm-hmm. you know and it's yeah and they don't write books about this they don't you can't take courses on this this is just life throwing you curveballs and you just learning how to go and roll with the punches yeah and it's like it's something that's earned See, and that's what I love about life right now is like I know through the vast majority of my life I actually stopped talking about all the cool shit I was doing because I was always like that guy and oh Blake you're always so extreme and this and that and the next thing was was pretty much from 20 to like probably 33 you know but then all of a sudden there was just like a lot of could because of social media all of a sudden like people like me realized there's a lot of fucking people out there doing crazy shit. But when you're just in your community of people, if you're the only one doing crazy shit, like you seem odd. Yeah. But then all of a sudden with social media, you're like, no, there's like millions of motherfuckers out there like me. Like, like you, I would have never met you who is a person like me if it wasn't for Caesar who I met on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Isn't that cool? Yeah. yeah. Which is like the beautiful part of social media. Yes. And it's just being able to find those people that are running at that 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 race and that pace. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I I'm really grateful for social media in that perspective. You know, also for like the free marketing and just exposure and being able to meet like-minded people. But when you do find the people that are you know at that level, you're able to actually grow at the expansion of your being even more because now it's like other people are also setting the pace and. In, like you said, in your own little community, when you're the only one that's, you know, achieving greatness or extraordinary things, people are just not running at that level. And so they're actually going to dim that level and that ferociousness inside of you. But when you're around people that are doing, you know, like the David Goggins and things like that, it's like you're not wasting any of this potential. You're actually able to possibly tap into and compound that potential. See, and the part that I love about that too is uh, David Goggins was actually the one that taught me, I think, the most critical part about all this. And it's nothing to do with his message. I think he needs to talk about this aspect more. Is that he's the one who taught me that none of this should be and needs to be done for money. Mm-hmm. Because, like, to me, it was always like people are telling me, like, why do you do this? It's just such a waste of time. Like, there's no like economic value to you doing it. So it's like, you don't really understand it's like, oh, well, yeah, like, why do I dedicate so many hours to this shit when it, like, it costs me money? I can't really say it's, like, a hobby because it doesn't fit into a hobby box, like, what most people's hobbies are, but it is an actual hobby and interest. So, like, what does this mean? Because, like, obviously, it's a waste of time if it's not financially benefiting me. But, like, then you see the people who are doing, like, really extreme cool shit and 99% of the time, it's costing them more money than they're making because it's not the reason why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And like that part is, I think the words like getting that message out there too, is just saying like, you know, it doesn't always have to have a monetary value. Mm-hmm. Then because of the world we live in, it actually becomes monetized because you're putting those things out there on like social media platforms, all kinds of stuff and people connect with it. Mm-hmm. And then it does become like a monetary thing, but it's not the driver. It's not the focus, mm-hmm. right? And it's not mm-hmm. like this business that you start going to, be this person to make this money it's like you can't do that you have to be the person and then that money comes 
And even if it doesn't come, you're still going to be that person. And that's the authenticity behind it. I was just right? going to say that. Yeah, it's the authenticity behind it. That's mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I agree 100%. So this kind of gives a, a segue. So I'll, I'll, yeah. I'm not going to dive into this on my side, but I want you to dive into yours. A lot of people thought that I would never be able to do anything like this because I'm on a carnivore diet as well. Mm. So, but obviously, I'm not going to entertain that many conversations with those people. And you're an athlete on a carnivore diet, but you used to be vegan. And yeah. Go. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, yeah. So just a little backstory for people that don't know. Um, I used to be a very like, you know, frail ballerina. I was a vegan, um, homeschooled, and then I thought that was healthy. Um, but I still struggled with, you know, bloating and I still struggled with like low energy and I was doing it properly. So I was like considered like a healthy vegan. Everything was grown in the garden. You know, mom cooked amazing food. Um, most people that came over would call it rabbit food, but she would do like the, you know, the, the quinoa pasta and she would do the coconut, you know, soups and like the, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it was just Protein in our household was never talked about. We didn't talk about that as the main source of fuel. We talked about carbs and sugars. And so whenever I thought, oh, you know, as an athlete or as a ballerina, you know, fuel up on carrots and hummus and fuel up on, you know, different types of granola and things like that. So fast forward, I went to school, you know, did all that. And then I started to learn in my practice, sorry, in my last few years of my school through my um, nutrition school that, um, you know, they were really trying to almost like sway you to go more vegan. And I was already going through a transition where I was interested in, I was interested in bringing in um, different sources of protein. And so when I started to get pretty slammed with, how meat is bad for you, it's acidic, it's creating um, mucus in the body, creates this and that, and inflammation, etc. I was almost like afraid, right? But I was like, but something inside me told me like, maybe that's not for everybody. And then I started to learn about hormone development in the female body and their menstrual cycles and how much we bleed in a year. And I started to learn about our adrenals and the fact that we bring babies into the world and just so much. And then now we have women that are not just at home bringing life into the world, but also running multiple businesses, also training like crazy in the gym. And how do you run like how do you run at that level at that pace on a vegan diet? And so I just felt like I could get more out of my body. I felt like I was over supplementing with caffeine because I wasn't getting an actual source of energy. And I always complained about being tired. I was a very positive person, but I chronically complained on a daily basis about being tired. I would wake up tired. I would be so tired that like after dinner, I would like sometimes feel like a, like a babbling idiot because I'm so tired that like I need to go to bed. Or, you know, when a child is tired and like they just start crying and I'm like, so I was thinking like, oh, well, maybe I have like mood disorder. Maybe I, so I started Googling. I'm like, maybe I have borderline personality disorder. Maybe, and my anxiety was so bad. I would get heart palpitations and anxiety 
And then I would get weird depression spells. And it was like the only thing that could keep me feeling balanced and grounded was a 40K run every day. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I would get this runner's high. But if I didn't run that day, I was so low. And I was like, what is wrong? And then I started to learn about neurotransmitters and serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin and everything going on. And how coffee, when you abuse it, actually affects your serotonin and dopamine levels. And it can create chronic fatigue because it's a diuretic. You lose all your iron and minerals. And then it also throws off the pH of the ecosystem of the gut. So I started to really learn about what the things I was putting in my body was actually doing on a cellular level. So then fast forward, I was like, kind of like toothpick arms, you know, wanting to get into the gym. But the first thing I would do is just go to the treadmill. I didn't know what to do. I was terrified. So then I started to be like looking on Instagram and seeing all these fit women and they're eating protein, they're eating meat and they look great. Shredded six pack, they're on stage and they just, so I started to ask them. I started to ask a lot of my friends that were competing and have done multiple shows. And I'm like, can you do this as a vegan? And they're like, I don't know anybody that does this as a vegan. And I'm like, oh, but I had this burning desire, you know, because I was a prima ballerina, did all my RID exams, took it really to a high level, very proud of myself. Then I took, you know, modeling to a high level, very proud of myself. And then I took, you know, um, other sports, got into rugby, <laughs> it's not the sport for me. Um, and then I got into uh, running, I loved running. Um, but then my knees started to go. And I was like, I think I was like 24, 25 when I did the BMO marathon and I was like, my knees were just shot. And I was like, this is not good because I'm fueling on nothing but fruits and vegetables, maybe a few nuts and seeds. And I'm like, this is not food. And um, so then fast forward when I got a professional coach and she did my macros, I almost had a, I almost had like a, a, an anxiety attack because I saw how much meat I was going to consume. But I remember when you and I had done our different, we did this experiment and you can go back and watch them, but we did different diets. And so I would play around. I remember the day I would play around with fish and eggs. So I'm more pescatarian. And I felt on those days, it felt like I actually didn't need coffee. And I was like, huh. I remember when you told me that you when you first started eating salmon. Yeah. And just like how you just felt like there was this whole, you could see the world in like a totally different light. Like I remember saying that, yeah. yeah at the other office when he told me that like it, yeah when those memories that just is etched in my mind yeah you know and i i feel like i don't know if you've noticed now but i feel a lot calmer i feel like i'm not running they used to call me motor mouth because i would be running at such a high frequency all the time but it was like i was almost running on an anxiety level where i couldn't catch my breath i felt like i couldn't breathe and now you know, making these transitions. And I would say a lot of it was actually because of you, because of our really cool experiment. I had to rewire the brainwashing that, you know, my school or online or, you know, my childhood or different things where it's like, no, like meat's not bad. We're actually wired and designed and biblically we're meant to eat meat. So it was really interesting when I made that transition, I... (laughs) Almost like I almost felt like nauseous um, when I started to introduce like beef because beef and I, we were not friends. So I almost think that it was a psychological thing where I'd almost make myself sick because I felt like I was committing like almost like murder. Mm -hmm. And 
it would be so emotional because I love animals and I had so many animals growing up and I could never imagine like eating my dog or eating like a, a, a chicken or, you know, so it's just like heartbreaking for me. And it was like, I felt like on a spiritual level, it was really hurting me. But then I realized that I was creating all this own psychological damage to myself because of other people's opinions. And so I just wanted to get rid of the opinions and the noise and just hear about what does my body need? so that I can thrive. So I started eating steak for breakfast on its own with some pink salt. Mm -hmm. And I was able to go a whole year without coffee. I was the type of person, my husband now saw me try to come off coffee. I've been addicted to coffee since I was grade nine. And that was just what me and my mom would do every morning. We would have four to six cups of coffee and then dinner. Oh, well, yeah. And it was just like, that's just what we did. It was either iced coffee and we would go for walks and we would explore and we would have big salads for dinner and life was great. But the was artificial running. energy for calories thing where it's like the, I just need a little pick me up so I'm going to have a coffee. It's like, no, you just need calories. Yeah. You know, we were all, we've all been there, right? We're yeah. making that mistake or going for like that quick hit of something sugary because you just, you want like that immediate just rush of energy versus just like the sustained slow release energy all day long, which is yeah. what meat offers, right? Yeah. You know, and there was so much confusion around like intermittent fasting and like only eating once a day. And I'm like, but your stomach is the size of your fist. You can only pack so much food in your stomach and you can only absorb so much at one time and you can only produce so many enzymes at one time. So how efficient is that one meal? So I'm thinking like, you know, maybe for the person that's just not doing anything with their day, but for people that are training three hours a day and running a business and then all the things in between, I'm like, it's not enough. And um, so then when I gave myself permission to be able to follow my macros and eat my appropriate amount of protein per day, and I just noticed this huge transformation in my brain fog, in my menstrual cycle, it was on time. Um, I struggled with endometriosis. And so the doctor said that I would have to have a baby in order for it to be removed or I'd have to go on medication. And I've never been on medication. I'm not going to do it. Birth control. No. Won't even take an Advil. So all of a sudden, I'm like, I have no mood swings. I have no anxiety. I have no panic attacks. I have no depression. I have no heart palpitations. I have nothing like that. And I was just shocked at how good I felt. So I went a whole year without coffee and without alcohol. Not that I was really a big drinker, but you know, like social, yeah. have one or two. But I just focused on drinking my negative ORP water and consuming a carnivore diet and following my macros to the best of my ability because um, no one's perfect. But I just found like I didn't need as much sleep as I wanted as I thought I needed because I love sleep. I could get nine to 12 hours and I would still wake up tired. I would need like four to six hours and I was like ready for like hitting the Stairmaster and the two hour workout in the morning. Every morning I would spring out of bed with these endorphins of like being so excited for the day. And I just couldn't wait to put my feet on the ground and start my day. And I would actually be sad when it was bedtime because I had still so much energy. And then people started to ask me like, what are you taking? What are you doing? Like, what pill are you on? What crazy, you know, mushroom pill are you on? Or what adaptogen or nootropic or whatever? And I'm like, I just stopped eating, like, all the starches and 
you know, I even limited my amount of like fruits and vegetables down to like just what my coach says, mm -hmm. which is like almost, as you know, like very little, like four asparagus. Um, yeah. Like, so, like <laughs> I haven't eaten like any fruits or vegetables in like, well, like years now, but I take my greens twice a day though. Right? Yeah. Like I know I need the, I know I need the micronutrients. Like I'm never going to argue the point that you don't need an abundance of micronutrients, especially for people like us who are very active. But I just, I don't think eating fruits and vegetables and nuts, shit like that, I do not think that it's... The majority of your calories. Yeah, like it just, I just think like the the risks and the, the detriment outweighs any of the benefit. Because mm -hmm. I'm like, even if, even to be able to get the proper amount for not an RDA, but for optimization, it's really what you're talking about is living an optimal life. You can't eat enough fruits and vegetables because no. even for the RDAs, everybody eats like 20% of the, the recommended amount anyway. For the RDAs, well, what about how much, how many servings of fruits and vegetables do you need to eat to get to like an optimized level? Like 30? Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to do that shit. No. It's the impossible. And you wouldn't even want that amount of inflammation in your body anyway by just ingesting food, no matter what that food is, because all food causes inflammation in the body. So, like, to be able to pack that much in, to be like, oh, it just doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, and just, like, when I started to learn about lectins, and I started to learn about, like, how Monsanto came out with glyphosate in 1980, and that is being sprayed on all of our crop and our produce, I started to, like, put together the dots. And only here, though. Yeah. Well, not only here, it, but in Europe, that shit is banned in most countries, It's illegal right? in Russia. Mm -hmm. Like, it's crazy, like, how it's allowed here. And if you look up glyphosate, it's a carcinogen, and we put yeah. that on our food. And it's just insane. So when you actually remove that from your body and then the little microgreens that you might be introducing, you know, those are organic, making sure that they are not sprayed. It, it's, it goes such a long level when it comes to like, yeah, like you said, like optimizing and biohacking your body, you know, and when you actually give your body what it needs as fuel, not over fueling or under fueling. And then you're just like really dialing into the quality on like, you know, a on like a, a spectrum level where it's like you're actually looking at the pros and cons okay so meat does this okay so the fruits and vegetables does this and you're weighing out the pros and cons in terms of your pesticides herbicides insecticides glyphosates gmo you know and then now all these new things that you know the food industry is coming out it's it really goes to show that like sure like if you were eating a really dense you know fruit and vegetable and all that back then probably different than the food now in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to understand that the food now in Canada has changed since 1980. And so when you're, you know, producing offspring and you're eating food that is genetically modified and, you know, is full of all these sprays, it's doing something on like a genetic level for you. And so it's going to create a weak predisposition and a weak constitutional break uh, buildup for your offspring if you're eating that way. So eventually our offsprings, offsprings, offspring, if we keep eating in this direction, are gonna be so malnourished, their cells are gonna be so underactive, we're gonna be more prone to multiple diseases and illnesses. And if you look up like your hormones, what are they made of? Peptides. Where does that come from? Amino acids. You're literally required to have protein on a certain level every day just for your body to have the proper building blocks and foundation to function and people don't so when i start to learn about that and they're like yeah but there's 
protein and plants and all that. I'm like, yeah, sure, there's amino acids, but there's the essential ones that you can get, but there's certain amino acids you can't get from plants that you can only get from animal product. Well, and, and I always say to people like this, Lily, so this is like the annoying part to me because I'm just like, don't don't tell me there's protein in, um, you know, like a banana is there is protein in a steak. If you can't intelligently have a conversation with me about essential and non-essential amino acids, which is basically exactly what you're getting at. Um, and then the amounts of those amino acids to be able to actually properly make like functioning tissue in a human body. And then my argument always is, as I'm like, when people are like, well, you know, but you can put together combinations of food to be able to make complete protein strands. And it's like, yes, I could go to Lord Co and I could buy all the parts to build a fucking car, or I could just go buy a car. Life is Seems complicated a little bit easier. enough. Yeah. yeah. Seems a little easier to just go buy the car. Yeah. So I'm just going to go buy the steak because yeah. I'm like, I don't have to be like, is this combination correct? Like, you know, like how much sprays are on this? Like, is this organic? Like, sure, there's hormones in some beef if you're not careful, but like, it's easier to look at like your grass-fed, grass-finished steak, easy to read. There's no, there's no packaging that says, you know, sprayed with, you know, Roundup, which is glyphosate. So where's that warning label? And why is it legal here and illegal in a lot of other countries in the world? It's even like the biggest um, landmass of organic farms is in Russia. Mm-hmm. And there's government subsidies to be able to keep your land organic in Russia. Mm-hmm. You know, like way more than what there is in the Western world. So it's like when you look at all of these things, when you just, when, when people want to regurgitate only what they hear about how like, oh, well, yeah, there's protein in you know, vegan diets and stuff too. And it's like, there's also protein in cardboard. Mm-hmm. Do we want to have that argument now too? Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to build good quality muscle eating cardboard. No. And cardboard is just a shittier vegetable. And what is your heart made up of? Your heart is a muscle, right? Mm. And people don't realize, but when it comes to critical thinking, like you need to actually just take the information that you're hearing and then make your own decision based on evidence and factual logic. And a lot of people need to take the emotion out of it. And I, when I started tapping into these different diets, I started to look into like, okay, why is veganism being pushed? Why is all these plant-based, you know, meat products being pushed and promoted? So then I started to look a little deeper. And if you start to look at where the money's coming from, you'll realize Bill Gates just bought all that land to create all that soy. And if you look at a man who's supposed to have high testosterone levels, libido, sperm count, all that he needs to have a certain amount of essential amino acids to be able to perform or to be able to fight or be able to, you know, protect. He will become docile. His hormones will become manipulated if you put him on a plant-based soy diet with all these glyphosates because glyphosates are carcinogens, but they're also endocrine disruptors. Mm -hmm. Your entire endocrine system as a man can be manipulated by the amount of heavy metals and toxins that you are introducing, especially if you're not someone that's already pretty healthy. Now you're losing the ability to detox on such a high level because you're not as efficient at it because your lifestyle doesn't support it. Mm-hmm. And so if you're like someone that like yourself, you know, where, you know, you're pretty dialed in with everything else. So for you to have, you know, a soy product once in a while, it would be okay. You would probably be fine. 
but I'm not going to take the chance. <laughs> not take the chance, right? You're not going to die. Yeah. I mean, you survived what the yeah. story you just survived. However, it's not something that's going to get you to optimize. So where do we set the bar for ourselves? Once again, back to our conversation, people are okay being mediocre or average or below average. Nowadays, they don't even give out in schools. They don't even give out a grade anymore if you fail. No, you failed. And I think there's the harsh reality of like no participation ribbon. You get your F. You redo the year. Life is is too comfortable for people where now they feel like they don't have to strive. And a lot of people around nutrition, they just get lazy. Well, this is like an old business analogy, right? Like systems, like SOPs. Um, they make average people good and good people average, mm. you know? So like, that's like, that's life just in general right mm-hmm. now. You know, you take all these like overperformers. It's like, there's no, there's not a lot of advantage now for being an overperformer because it's just like, you know, whether you're paying more in taxes or this or that or the next thing, it's like, you can see how that just pulls people down, but you actually get more rewarded because there's more systems for you if you're below average. Mm-hmm. But what about the people who are actually like, like I, I always look at it, you know, and like it, it's an arrogant thing to say, except for the people who actually know and connect what it means. And I always say, I'm like, I'm like, it's really easy to hate me and I get it, you know, but I'm like, when you need people like me, you really fucking need people like me because I'm the type of person that for whatever reason I want to be that first guy on the horse with the sword riding faster than the guys behind me that want to be ahead of me because you want to be the first person in there. And I don't know why, mm-hmm. but I, the one thing I do know is this world was created by more like people like me mm-hmm. and like you than fucking people who are just waiting for handouts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You and I are the types that would run into the burning building, not away from it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why, you know, People like us need to find more people like us. Um, and eventually, you know, that will hopefully fade out some of the, uh, the couch surfers. Well, that is just like talking about it, right? Where it's just, you know, because the thing is like you don't, it, it was not socially acceptable to talk about, but now it is a lot more. It's like, you know, no, people who have abilities, you should not talk about it. But it's really taboo to talk about it till maybe about like three or five years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, probably more like five years ago. But it was like, if you talked about it, you were just an arrogant, egotistical, like peacocking dick. But it's like, mm-hmm. well, no, like if I can just tell you about my life, like me telling you about what I do with my life shouldn't make me an asshole. Like I'm not saying I'm better than you because I did this. I'm like, I did this. What do you think? Yeah. You know, like, talk to me about it. Like, Let's because have a conversation. You, yeah, because I want you to have a story that we can analyze to, like, yeah. that's not interesting. Like, I'm sorry if, like, how you're like, I just binge watch fucking eight shows. I can't be like, oh, that's so awesome. Like, you must have learned so much. And, like, you're such a great human being. Like, fuck, what's your contribution to the world because of that? Like, yeah. I can't because it, there, they, it, there's no message behind that. Yeah. You know, but if, when you're like, man, when I was starving myself to death being a prima ballerina and fucking you know like shaming myself in the mirror and i'm like whoa i can get behind that man Mm -hmm. like i can really get behind that Mm -hmm. you know because there's so much there and i'm like Mm -hmm. i just want to know and it's like i want to be told but there's so much when people tell stories i'm like 
don't I'm not interested in that. I don't know. I'm mm. sorry. I'm, like I, you can go find people who are. There's lots of people who be interested in this other shit. But I'm like I'm I'm just not interested and mm. I'm, I'm sorry about that. But mm. the nice thing is like I just don't feel like people have to apologize for it anymore because there's enough people because of social media who are amplifying like do dope shit mm-hmm. and do it so fucking absurdly that it's just wild. And yeah, and that's, that's something that I think you and I almost maybe directly or indirectly want to do is share our story because it's not about getting people to be impressed. It's about waking them up and maybe getting them to be a, a bit more conscious about what they're doing with their time because our time is precious and B about just pushing themselves past their limits. And it's okay. It's okay to go into the unknown and to push yourself. And for people that are listening to this, like if you haven't done something, you know, at least once a month that scares you or that terrifies you, or, you know, you walked into the unknown and then you realize like that you overcame something or there's a challenge that you're currently going through. I encourage you to like, just jump in with both feet and just embrace it for what it is and tr- don't try to overanalyze it. Don't try to analyze and be like, oh, like something like this is bad karma or I deserve this or be shameful or I did something wrong. No, you're just learning and you're growing. And I hope that you can look back and have a perspective of like how much you grew from that and then just embrace the next roller coaster and challenge because that's all it is. And then be vulnerable and share those challenges. I think like what you just said, people need to share their challenges because it's, it's going to cause the world to shift and it's already starting to. And we see people that are very brave out there fighting for our country and doing things that, you know, may cut off their financial situation. Their banking might be shut off. They might lose their job. They might lose the respect of their peers, but they stood for something. And if you stand for nothing, you fall for everything. Mm -hmm. And what kind of person is that? That's not the person I want to be friends with. Mm -hmm. That's not the person I want to say that I'm, you know, that's my family member or that's my relative. No, I want to, I want to be related in some way to somebody that stood for something when everyone else mocked because the people that mock, it's because they live in fear. Mm -hmm. That's great. Maybe that's the perfect place to to end this podcast Mm -hmm. this morning because that's a really powerful message and a great place for people to reflect. Yeah. Thank you, Ariel. Thanks so much.